Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Happy Mother's Day to all the amazing moms out there. And I'm also thinking of all of the women who would like to be moms and are struggling and also the women who don't want to be moms and feel weird on this day or women who lost their moms I'm just thinking of all of you today. It's such a sensitive thing, you know, becoming a mom, not becoming a mom. And no matter what you say or do, it's hard out there. So I'm just I'm just going to say that I'm thinking of all people in relation to motherhood. I'm also thinking about the fucking Supreme Court trying to overturn Roe versus Wade, which would be the most ridiculous thing in the world. And I I try not to get political on this podcast, but every woman should have the choice in their life if they want to have a child or not. And that would just be devastating. So on Mother's Day, I just want to say that I wish for everyone the power and the right to choose. With that, getting right into the episode today. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met at Acme. Today's episode is with Chris Ratcliffe and he is an anxious attachment style coach. And he's going to basically tell us all why we have anxious attachment style or avoidant attachment style or secure attachment style and how to kind of have because you can change your attachment style and and he'll get into it. He speaks on it way more articulately than I could, but I've been anxious attachment for a lot of my 20s. I've even been avoidant. I've been I've been secure, but only I think in my relationship with Steven or like in relationships where I felt a lot of security. Actually, I think in those relationships I was avoidant until Steven. Anyway, You'll hear a lot about what he has to say very soon. Before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about Anatomy of a Scandal. It's a show that I just finished and highly recommend because it's just interesting the themes in it that come up. So it's it's with Sienna Miller and Rupert Friend are the main characters. Uh, Sienna plays Sophie Whitehouse and Rupert plays James Whitehouse. They're a couple. And by the way, Definitely skip ahead if you haven't watched yet because there are spoilers that I'm going to share. But they're married and it turns out that James has been having an affair with somebody that he works with. He's like in the... I don't know what it's called. Um, like the government of of England. Like, the, like he's a parliamentary minister. Whatever the fuck that means. And they're married and they have kids and she finds out that he's been cheating on her. But not only has he been cheating on her, the woman accuses him of rape. And it kind of takes us back to like their lives and, um, you know, what he had done in the past. And he came from like a very posh upbringing. I think they were at Oxford and him and his friends were like typical white men who take advantage of women and just think that they're like, you know, God's gift and they can do no wrong. And they got into a lot of trouble between like one of their friends overdosing on drugs and them just kind of treating women however they wanted to. 
So Sophie, when she finds all this out, she decides to like stand by her man right away and defend him. And then I think as the trial goes on, the person prosecuting James, we find out is a woman who used to go by a different name who he raped, who was Sienna Miller's roommate in college at a certain point in time, which is so crazy to me because it reminds me of Cinderella's story when Hilary Duff like puts on that mask and all of a sudden nobody knows who she is. But like we wear masks every day and people still know who we are. Like obviously Sophie would have recognized Holly Berry or, you know, whatever her name is in the show, but she went, she went as a different identity. She went as Kate Woodcroft. And for some reason, Sienna Miller's character did not, Sophie did not recognize her. Anyway, she believes her man up until a certain point and then realizes that he does in fact, you know, rape these, that woman that he was seeing and it's it's an interesting thing because there is it's not totally black and white like there's some gray area i'm i'm not saying it wasn't rape it obviously was but they had been seeing each other and then i guess stopped and then he like went into an elevator with her and tried to like you know push push himself inside her and she was like not here which is not straight up no um it's still like saying no in one form. But I think that was like an argument that they were having. And it just, you know, it just shows that consent is so important. And also that this man sucks and was a horrible person and was very well acted by Rupert Friend because like we all hated him. And then by the end, finally, Sophie realizes that not only is it her old friend, Holly Berry, but that he did in fact rape her. And of course, in turn, probably raped Olivia, who is played by the gorgeous Naomi Scott, who is absolutely gorge. And so is Sienna Miller. And every character in this show is beautiful. And it's just really interesting And it shows how like white men get away with murder, no pun intended, like all the time and rape. And, you know, like they clearly his James's lawyer is like this amazing boss who is really good at her job. And so he's seen not guilty. And then ultimately Sophie ends up going to her friend and being like, I, I know the truth. Like I'm going to help you prosecute him. And then the story ends. So hopefully he gets what's coming for him. But it's definitely interesting. I think that Sophie played this character who kind of looks the other way, like the wife who who's happy to look the other way, even from when she was younger. You know, after James had come home crying because they had accidentally killed a friend of theirs, he was crying and she was like, what's wrong? And he and she's like, you know what? I don't want to know. I support you. And like, that'll never be me. Like I turned to Steven and I was like, I just want you to know if you came home crying, I would be like, what happened? Who died? How did he die? What was he overdosed on? Who gave him the drugs? Like, I'm just so the opposite of that woman. So it always fascinates me to see that like women like this exist. Anyway, moving on from that, someone asked if I would talk a little bit about how to make conversations light and fun. I'm assuming this means like on dating apps, but I think also just like outside dating apps as well when you're talking to someone of your desired gender. I think that it's so important to like talk to them like you talk to your most fun friend. You guys are always vibing, you know, you and this friend and like, you're always kind of being silly, not taking yourself too seriously. So I think that's a big part of it. Like when I used to text with guys that I liked, I feel like it starts with not taking what they say literally. So if they're like, what are you up to? Instead of being like, well, I just got back from work. I'm doing this. Like I would just like either send a photo of something like of like making a sandwich or like, do something that's a little bit different from the usual. Like that to me keeps it light and fun. I love the use of like photos of gifts in that case. I think also like when they ask something that's kind of boring, like you then make it interesting, you know, and you can be like, like if they're like, what, like, what are you doing? it's really hard to articulate this. I need to figure out a way to like do it live with like a PowerPoint presentation or something. 
But it's something that I do when you sign up for a dating consultation, especially if you're in New York City. Like I will then start conversations with guys on apps for you. And it's just about like being fun and not taking the conversation too seriously and saying something that you don't think about and overthink about twice. Like if they're like, what are you cooking? Be like, like instead of saying like, I'm just making some like chicken cutlets and a side of veggies, be like the most insane chicken cutlets. Have you like, what's your go-to recipe or like, have you, what's the best chicken cutlet you've ever had? Like make it into like a more fun conversation or like, did you know that I'm like the number one chicken cutlet maker of all time? Just something that's a little different. I, I know that wasn't like super helpful. It's just one of the hardest things to articulate is how to like make conversations light and fun because it's just like a natural thing that you do. Like you just, if you're bored of the conversation, then you need to like make it fun and just say something different and weird. Um, Speaking of different and weird, my mom's going to kill me for this, but I have the funniest story. She loves like giving me old things of hers. Like it's, it's like, it's a cute mom thing. And like I fit into her clothes and we have the same shoe size. So it's really nice. And my mom's whole thing is like, she never wants to get rid of anything. And I definitely get that from her. Like she just doesn't want to waste anything and you know, whatever. And so I went to her apartment the other day and I call her like my babysitter, but her name is Naomi. She's been with our family forever and she's just like the best person in the world. And my mom wasn't home and I was just like getting something for her apartment. And Naomi was like, Oh, like take your mom left this for you. Like if you want to take it home. And I was like, what is it? And I looked in and it was my mom's old underwear. Okay. And I was like, (laughs) I don't want this. And she was like, no, like, you know, she like some of it she hasn't worn. And I was like, I don't want like your old underwear. Like, I don't know. Like, give it, give it away or like throw it out. Like, I don't think anyone actually wants your old underwear. Like, throw it out. And I and Naomi was like, your mom like really wants you to have it. Like, she told me to give it to you. Like, I feel like I have to give it to you. And I was like, I'm good. Like you need, like, I feel like you need to either like throw that out or donate it. Like she's worn 90% of it. And she was like, no, I have to give it to you. And I was like, okay, just tell her that you gave it to me, but throw it out. And she, then my mom calls me like when she gets home later and she's like, did you get the underwear? And I was like, no, no one wants your old underwear. Like, what are you doing? And she was like, oh, but like Naomi, it's not here. Like she said that you took it. And I was like, yeah, I told her to tell you that I took it, but to throw it out. Um, Anyway, I just thought that that was really funny. If you know my mom, it's just, it's just such a, such a her situation. And I'm really excited for you to hear Chris. So I hope you enjoy the episode. My sister-in-law had her birthday this past week and my brother-in-law asked me if I had any suggestions for what to get her. And it was such a cute question. I just love like a thoughtful guy, even though obviously he should get her something. And I immediately was like, he was like, she needs a new backpack. And I was like, immediately Dagny Dover. Immediately. Uh, Dagny Dover is the most amazing performance bag brand for backpacks, gender neutral baby bags, commuter totes, toiletry organizers, really cute crossbody bags. They're made from neoprene leather and eco-friendly materials like organic cotton and um, recycled poly made from plastic bottles. And did I mention they're founded by three women? Is there anything better than supporting women? I think not. It's perfect for gift giving. It's really perfect for bridesmaids or groomsmen gifts. If you get them all like Dagny Dover bags, I mean, what could be better? What could be better? I love Dagny Dover. I love the colors that they have, the simplicity. I actually gave my husband a Dagny Dover bag because they gifted me one because we're now working together and he's obsessed with it. 
And he brought it to work and all of his coworkers are like, oh my God, there's so many pockets. And it's really just an overall great bag. It's perfect for a summer trip, all the weddings that you might have this summer. And again, like there's a million zippers. You can have a water bottle. You can have... They even have like a laptop case built in the backpack. They have everything that you could ever need and it's chic and it's sleek. And that's why... And the reason is because it's founded by three women. And three women just know what they're doing, you know? So check it out. Go to dagnydover.com and the 10% off code is ACME. So that's Dagny, D-A-G-N-E-D-O-V-E-R.com. And you can use code ACME for 10% off your first time. Enjoy. I have been saying this forever, but less is truly more when it comes to your skin. Like I want to be using something that is so light, that isn't heavy, especially when it's not winter. Like it's beautiful out. You shouldn't be clogging your skin with all of this stuff. And if you're thinking like, oh, I've clogged pores, I have dark spots, I have fine lines, then you need to be using Curology. You just start by taking a short online quiz and uploading photos of your skin. And then if it's a good fit, they'll ship you your formula right to your door. And it even has your name on the bottle. It's game-changing custom skincare made for you by a dermatology provider. And it's game-changing for a reason, because it's the best It really is. And I know that it's so good because I even share it with Steven, which I probably shouldn't be doing, but he loves it too. And that's not even his formula. That's how good it is. It's good for every skin, but you should probably use your own formula. And you can get started just like I did with a free 30-day trial at Curology.com slash Acme. You only pay $5 for shipping and handling. And that's C-U-R-O-L-O-G-Y.com slash Acme to start your free 30-day trial. You can cancel anytime and your prescription is subject to consultation. So definitely check it out. I love to use the cleanser in the shower. I just recently started washing my face in the shower. Never did it before. Not sure why. But it's amazing. And my custom formula is perfect for my skin. I personally feel like I have a lot of fine lines, especially when I'm not doing Botox anytime soon. And I also get a lot of dark spots because I spend a lot of time in the sun. I just love the sun. I need my vitamin D. I can't compromise that. So I need my Curology. It helps me get back to my skin goals and keep my skin glowing. So check it out. Go to curology.com slash Acme and get yours. Hey, beautiful people. My name is Elisa Reynolds and I'm the executive chef and founder of My Two Cents LA and host of My Last Meal a new podcast that asks people from all walks of life, whether it's musicians, celebrities, artists, chefs, scientists, Renaissance men and women, what their last meal on earth would be and why. So don't forget to tune in on Fridays. You can find us anywhere you can listen to podcasts. So why not? Let me tell you about the last meal. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met at Acme. I'm so excited to be here with Chris Ratcliffe, who is an anxious attachment specialist. Hey Chris, how's it going? Hi, Lindsay. Great. How are you? I'm excited to chat. I'm good. I'm so excited to chat. So tell us a little bit about yourself. How old are you and where are you from? Great question. I'm 35 and I'm located in Charleston, South Carolina, but originally from Baltimore, Maryland. Very cool. And what is it? What does it mean, right, to have anxious attachment? We've done a few episodes on, you know, where we've discussed attachment theories and and what they are. But anxious, I would say, is the most is the one that people can identify with the most. So, what is that exactly? Yeah. So, taking a, a step back, attachment theory, as I'm sure you've discussed, stems from research that began in the 1950s and 1960s, primarily through researchers named John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth. And in their initial research, they found four styles based on how children responded to being separated from their parents. Anxious is one of those styles. Another is avoidant. There's also secure. And there's a combination of both anxious and avoidant. 
anxious specifically along with avoidant and anxious avoidant, which is also known as disorganized or fearful avoidant, depending on the attachment model or theory you're looking at, are all what's considered insecure attachment styles. These are folks that tend to experience an unhealthy level of doubt, fear, and insecurity in interpersonal relationships. And the styles reflect a sort of primary way of building bonds with others. Or in other words, a power dynamic that typically recreates itself. For folks who are anxious, that looks like needing a lot more reassurance, having a lot of insecurity around feeling needy, So folks who are anxious tend to really beat themselves up for their emotional needs. A lot of times thinking that they're clingy or they're asking too much when they're really asking for the bare minimum, oftentimes. They often experience a deep-seated fear of abandonment as well. And abandonment wounds and trauma is central oftentimes to the development of that style and does frequently go all the way back to some of their earliest relationships, meaning the the ones that they had in their nuclear family or the environment in which they were raised. So as a coach for people in this area, some of the things I hear about a lot are, my mom died, or my parents divorced, and I never really knew my father. Or maybe when their parents divorced, one moved really far away. That was the case for me, actually. And I have an anxious attachment style that I've worked to grow more secure within my relations um, with others for many, many years. And that's why I'm doing this work now. But folks who are anxious do get anxious in their relationships. It often comes out most prominently in their romantic relationships. As an adult, there's a lot of questioning and doubt and fear that goes into that. There's also a lot, oftentimes, a pattern of dating folks who are quote unquote emotionally unavailable or for whatever reason, not able to fully commit. So those are some of the hallmarks of having an anxious attachment style. In terms of core beliefs, some of the stories that folks with an anxious attachment style tell themselves include, I'll never meet someone who wants to connect with me as deeply as I do them. I'm going to end up alone. There's that abandonment again, right? So those are frequently what happens and they'll beat themselves up when they experience this again and again. But oftentimes it's an unconscious recreation of a dynamic that they have known, again, going all the way back to their relationship with their parents. And backing up a second. So Chris, what is your current relationship status? I am single. I just moved to Charleston uh, a year ago yesterday, actually. So I am actively dating but I'm currently single. Love it. And you mentioned your background with anxious attachment style. What is your attachment style at the moment? I would consider myself a hybrid of anxious and secure. I think there's some mm-hmm. there's going to always be an element for folks who are on the insecure side of the attachment spectrum where because of the familiarity of that kind of dynamic And because oftentimes that dynamic has been recreated and therefore reinforced pathways in the brain that they sort of default to in terms of thinking, there there is sort of an element that on some level will likely always feel like a default. So I would consider myself certainly more secure than I've ever been. And there are times where I still experience anxiety. In the work that I do with my clients, I make sure that they know that It's about bouncing back more quickly. It's about learning healthy ways of coping that so that they don't fall into unhealthy coping mechanisms such as numbing or using substances to disengage from their emotions. In other words, learning healthy ways of feeling their feelings. Oftentimes, people who are anxious haven't ever felt safe in their bodies to do so. And because of all the mental chatter that's happening constantly that comes with any form of anxiety, really, the overthinking, the rumination, it becomes even more difficult to not think your feelings or try to make sense of them instead of experiencing them. So that's ultimately the work that I do with my clients now, having done that work myself. But long story short, I would consider myself secure now with an element of anxiety. That's so interesting that you say that because I truly believe that when I had anxious attachment style, I was numbing for sure. Like that was, I'm sober now, but I would 
be, I would like go on a date and then those thoughts would come. And then I would like smoke a lot of weed or, you know, get drunk. And so I wouldn't have to think about what happened like after the date a lot of the time. And so that's definitely relatable. I feel like now I have secure attachment style, but I'm curious what you think. So do you think that it's possible to change attachment style based on a relationship that you're in, like change through that relationship? Or how would you recommend a client changes their attachment style, maybe if they don't have one? Yeah, it's it's a great question. And this is sort of central to the work that I do. To sort of set the stage here, attachment is a spectrum. And it's from insecure to secure. The styles are sort of sections of that spectrum, if you will. On the insecure side, you have the three anxious, avoidant, and then anxious, avoidant, disorganized, or fearful, avoidant. Again, same one by different names. And the way that we develop our attachment style or way of bonding with other people is through relationships. So naturally, we either grow insecure or secure through safe relationships or relationships that are not safe for us, meaning we can't really fully express ourselves. We don't really have an environment where we can show up authentically. Someone might gaslight you or invalidate you, criticize you, judge you, say you're being needy. Those are all ways that create less safety for someone, emotionally speaking. And so yes, when you have, again, a string of unstable relationships and many folks who are anxious or who are on the insecure side of the attachment spectrum in general have experienced that. You start to develop core beliefs around relationships that end up becoming self-fulfilling prophecies. So ultimately, to evolve out of anxious attachment, there are a few things that must happen. And in my work with my clients, there are four areas of focus that we hone in on for folks who are anxious. Because this is where people who have an anxious attachment style tend to be most underdeveloped, meaning they haven't really fleshed out skills relationally in these areas. And they are as follows. Self-worth, safety or security, which we were just discussing. Consistency, which is not just in how other people show up for you, which is clearly important, but also how you show up for you. And communication. People who are anxious and really all of the insecure attachment styles in general withhold. They don't open up to their partner about how they're feeling or what's going on internally or what they're experiencing emotionally. And that makes it hard to build a sense of security. So in the work that I do there's with my clients, there's about 45 exercises that they go through. That is a distillation of self-reflection that I did on my own journey. It's a combination of learning skills that are critical for having healthy relationships, such as learning how to set boundaries. And of course, coaching creates an environment for us to practice that together. It's very practical and specific. Other areas include nervous system regulation techniques. So it's a mixture of what's called top-down or mind-to-body and bottom-up or body-to-mind. Both are really important. Many folks in therapy stop at top-down techniques. So they'll try to think their way out of their feelings again. And it's not that reframing techniques or CBT or DBT are not effective because they are. But if you don't feel safe feeling your feelings, if you don't regulate your nervous system using things like cold exposure therapy, meditation, visualization, gratitude which all have been shown through research to positively impact the ability to exist within your own container, right? To experience fear or discomfort, uncertainty, all of the things that comprise anxiety, then you don't actually ever change the pathways in your mind and you don't ever allow yourself to go out there and to have a difficult conversation with a partner or tell them, I'm feeling like you're going to leave me. I'm scared. I'm feeling triggered because you said this, or I noticed this. I haven't heard from you in a few days, and that makes me feel like I'm not a priority to you. Things like that, they don't actually ever open up. So the role that I play is sort of, for oftentimes for the first time for my clients, that safe, secure role, 
it's not that you have to have a coach to do this. You can do it with a best friend or a therapist or with yourself even through self-reflection. But ultimately, you have to be able to express who you are and what you really are feeling. That is the definition of intimacy, sharing your reality with another person. If you cannot do that, then you will never have healthy relationships. Mm -hmm. It's so crazy to me how they used to make a website. You had to code, like you had to know the back end to be able to make a website at all. But thanks to Squarespace, anybody can make a website. It's literally websites for dummies. It's an all-in-one platform to build a beautiful online presence and run your business. It's the best tool to have possible if you're a creator or just doing your own thing or interested in having a side hustle and you want to make a great website for it. They've got all the tools. Like you can make a newsletter, you can share photos... I mean, you you could do e-commerce and sell things, connect your social media accounts. You can see like how many visitors you have every week, gain all your insights and send those to people so that they can then want to work with you more. You can have a blog. Like who who still loves blogs? Because I personally do, but I feel like they haven't been... You know, I want to see a blog. Make a blog. People might want to see that. You can use tools for SEO so that people can see your website and find it on Google. There's so many amazing things and amazing tools that you can use through Squarespace. It's really, really amazing. I use Squarespace for my website. I use like the ability to add my press to my website, the therapist resource. I couldn't do that without Squarespace. We add photos after every single event and Squarespace makes it so easy for us to do so. So if you haven't already started a Squarespace website, our partnership actually includes a year long of comp service. So take advantage of this. Like, I don't know why you're not. You really need to take advantage and you should go to squarespace.com slash Acme now because all of the tools are waiting for you at your fingertips. You can start a free trial. And when you're ready to launch using code Acme, you can save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. Check it out. I am eventually going to be looking into starting a family and I can't do that if I don't have the right vitamins in my diet. Right now, over 97% of women aged 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet and 95% are not getting their recommended daily intake of key omega-3s. Ritual has an essential for women 18 plus vitamin multivitamin, which was formulated with extensive research to help fill the nutrient gaps in the diets of women. If you are a woman who is not thinking about getting pregnant anytime soon, but really wants their multivitamins and the gaps in their diet to be filled, then you need to try Ritual's Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin. If you are someone that does want to soon, you should definitely try their prenatals. They're amazing, amazing, amazing. And they really balance you out. And they're also great for your skin, hair, and nails, which multivitamins are amazing for generally. Like they're great. Plus, Ritual is perfect for any diet. It's like vegan. You could take them without food, with food. They have an amazing aftertaste. It's really perfect. And every woman I know takes Ritual and loves it, including me. So right now, Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off their first three months when you go to ritual.com slash Acme and turn healthy habits into a ritual. Ritual also anticipates you needing more. And that's you know what's so amazing about a subscription. They then send it to you so that by the time you run out of your old one, you have a new. That's 10% off at ritual.com slash Acme. Check it out. Start a healthy ritual and let me know your thoughts. How much is too much when you're sharing with a partner? And like, what's the difference between 
sharing and being vulnerable and self-sabotaging a new relationship when it's probably too soon to come at your partner with all of these things, especially if your partner is like a cis hetero male who like doesn't believe in attachment styles. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of being too much, I don't ever consider a topic being off the table. Okay. And that is important for people on the insecure side of the attachment spectrum to hear because again, they withhold so much that they don't create the opportunities for those conversations to happen. Okay. So that's first and foremost, there's nothing that's off limits. In terms of timing, I always encourage my clients to have discussions around their needs and values sooner rather than later. That's because people who have an anxious attachment style tend to get attached very quickly. All right. They overutilize what are called activating strategies. Activating strategies are ways to reinstate a sense of connection or closeness within that relationship. So they may actually over engage in those, like constantly checking up on a partner, constantly needing reassurance. And so it does tiptoe into an unhealthy territory. The way to know the difference is to check in with yourself. Only you know. As a coach, I can help people to see this more clearly for themselves, of course playing the role of a mirror, but you can also see it for yourself. And it feels like a sense of urgency. That urgency is a trauma response, feeling like you must reinstate closeness or you have to talk to them now or else everything's going to go to shit. You're not going to be able to have a healthy relationship. You can't cope. So part of it is checking in with self and saying, okay, I know I'm feeling that familiar sense of anxiety. I know I'm triggered right now. When you're in a triggered state, it's basically impossible to have a healthy conversation with someone. You have to learn how to self-soothe, how to breathe properly, which I know sounds super basic and simple, but people who experience anxiety know that that tightening of the chest, that tension that you feel comes from shallow breathing that you probably are behaving in naturally because it's a physiological response to a perceived threat in the environment. So breathing and breathing techniques and meditation are actually central to learning how to self-soothe as well. So in general, self-soothing or utilizing some of those top-down, bottom-up techniques, you need a mix of both. Learning how to challenge your fear, not accept it at face value. Okay, It is not a fact. Your feelings are also not facts. Thinking that your feelings are facts is actually a cognitive distortion called emotional reasoning. Many folks also engage in other cognitive distortions or ways that they distort the reality around them, which happens when they're in that triggered state, such as personalizing or making somebody else's needs or reaction about you, when oftentimes it has very little to do with you. Many people are operating from their own sense of safety or their own sense of fear. And sure, that happens relationally with others, but it is often projected just as if you were to engage in a triggered state with someone that maybe you're just dating early on, you likely will self-sabotage. So it's important to self-soothe, challenge the limiting beliefs that are driving that, which are often assumptions or conclusions that have been jumped to, again, another cognitive distortion. So learning to see and sit with the feeling of discomfort and uncertainty is critical. Also. It's really important to, when you have composed yourself, when you have asked yourself, what is the unmet need here? Okay, what is it that I really need? Aside from the criticism and the judgment and the assumptions that I have made and my expectations of my partner, what is it that I really need? Do I need reassurance? Do I need a sense of connection? Do I have to go to my partner for that? Some of the work that I do with my clients is also recognizing that People with an anxious attachment style overly rely on their romantic partners to meet their emotional needs. They're all in all mm -hmm. the time, right? And it's a lot of pressure to put on someone to meet all of your emotional needs. They are not a parent. They cannot love you unconditionally. They cannot be available to you at all times or in all ways. They're eventually going to be out of pocket with work or have a family emergency or have a health issue or be sick and have a cold. You know, and they can't be there to reassure you all the time. So diversifying away emotionally, emotional diversification is also critical. Recognizing that you can have a sense of safety with self, 
with a therapist, with colleagues, and with friends and family. Okay. If you don't have close relationships with your family, lean on your friends. If you don't have a lot of friends, lean on a mental health professional or colleagues or what have you, but diversify away from your romantic partner. And again, know that your expectations of them are likely skewed by the way that you have looked at relationships. People with an anxious attachment style tend to overly romanticize romantic relationships. They idealize their partner. They put them on a pedestal and they recreate that power dynamic whereby they are the lesser powerful party. They are used to chasing. They are accustomed to being the pursuer. So one of the ways to also create more of a sense of safety in a dating context or romantically speaking is to approach it, again, having conversations about deal breakers and areas that are most important to you before you have those feelings that surface. And for people on the anxious side of things, that can happen in the first three to four dates. So it is important early on to go into those. And again, to do it not in a way that interviews your partner or puts so much pressure on them, or potential partner, I should say, but rather that opens up a dialogue that you can approach things from a sense of curiosity. So what, what was it like growing up for you, for instance, to ask that mm-hmm. person? What are your expectations around communication? Like, do you, when you're overwhelmed, do you come home from work and like need an hour to yourself? Do you need the whole night to yourself? Do you call a friend? What does that look like for you? Asking open-ended questions so that you can get a sense of who this person is and how aligned they are with your values. For people who have an anxious attachment style, those values tend to center around connection. Again, because they've always craved that deep sense of connection. Because typically it was not present or prevalent from the earliest relationships in their lives. So they've craved it for as long as they can remember. There is nothing wrong, and people need to hear this. There is nothing wrong with wanting communication, closeness, clarity, intimacy, affection. And there's nothing wrong with establishing boundaries from literally day one around it. Letting people know what you need to feel safe is literally a way to set a boundary. It's transparent communication around, this is who I am and this is what I need. But you can only get there once you honor that and recognize that there's nothing wrong with wanting any of that. That's literally what makes a relationship work. Asking for it all the time and in all ways and expecting it to happen that is what is unhealthy. Yeah, agreed. I feel like it's so important to set those boundaries and to ask those open-ended questions. And, uh, you know, I talk about communication a lot on the podcast and I was recently talking about my own story with my now husband. And in the beginning, I wasn't okay with the level of communication that was going on. It was like we weren't speaking during the day, just like at night because, you know, he was busy at work. But that to me, like I needed more than that. And so I remember I asked an open-ended question, like what is your usual communication with like your, you know, significant other during the week? And he was like, you know, like I'm not really big on texting during the day. But then like as I got to know him, I realized that he was like texting with his friends all day which a lot of like guys will do, you know? And so I was like, clearly he could give this to me. Like there's no way that he's not able to text me if he's texting his friends. And I think it was just simply a matter of like, we weren't there yet. Like we weren't in a place of comfort for him yet where he could say some stuff to me all day. Like he didn't want to be annoying to me. And like, you know, I think that only would have been figured out if I had asked about it and had told him like, this is what I'm used to. This is what I want. And so that's so important. The other day I had two women come over. I paid them obviously to help me stuff gift bags for the women's mixer. And one of the girls, she was so sweet. She was asking me all about Daily Harvest because she knows that we work with them. And I was like, why don't you take one of the smoothies? Because I always have them in my freezer and take it home, try it, tell me what you think. She ended up taking the banana and almond smoothie home and she loved it. And like, of course, it's the best thing ever because it's basically fresh frozen fruit 
that you just pour into a blender and immediately you have a smoothie. Like what could be better, honestly, especially it's built on organic fruits and vegetables. So you don't have to worry about being healthy. Also, Daily Harvest makes incredible bowls, like harvest bowls, and they make flatbreads and soups and even, even ice cream. They also have lattes now. So there's no excuse to not try it. When you try Daily Harvest, you can get $40 off your first box. That's dailyharvest.com slash Acme. And you'll get $40 off your first box, which includes whatever you want it to. So really, if you're trying to be healthy, you don't have to question it when you have Daily Harvest in your freezer. You don't have to cook. You can just heat it up and it's going to be amazing. I personally am a huge fan of their artichoke and spinach flatbread. And they have a really, really yummy kale and sweet potato flatbread. I usually am not a kale person, but when you mix it with sweet potato, it just tastes right. Go to dailyharvest.com slash Acme and use code Acme to get up to $40 off your first box. Dailyharvest.com slash Acme. Another question for you is how are you supposed to figure out if you're anxious attachment that you're with someone who is secure or that you're with someone who is also anxious? Like what are signs that your partner has X, Y, and Z attachment style? Great question. And thank you for sharing that anecdote. You know, it's so important to remember that we don't come with an instruction manual on what we need, what our expectations are. And so the clearer and more effectively, meaning from a compassionate place, you can communicate that. And that's what open-ended questions allow you to do, the better off you'll be. In terms of identifying attachment styles in another, I will answer the question, but I, I try to steer folks away from sort of pathologizing their partners or labeling them because it's incredibly limiting. If, for instance, mm. and this comes up a lot in the work that I do, if, for instance, someone who, say, is anxious, which, again, that, those are my clients, is dating someone who's, say, avoidant, which is a typical dynamic that happens because they attract one another usually. There are reasons for that that we can certainly dive into. But I tend to not advise folks to limit the possibility of the connection by assuming somebody else's attachment style and thereby relating to them in a familiar way that has to do with that dynamic. In order to evolve more secure, there have to be certain things in place in a relationship. And if you automatically look at someone as, oh, well, they're anxious and I'm anxious, it's not going to work. You can't approach the relationship from a secure place because you're automatically assuming they're insecure and judging them for it which is oftentimes a projection of self-judgment. So for instance, let's say you're in a relationship where you're anxious and someone is avoidant. This is, again, something that happens all the time. It's one of the most prevalent relational dynamics. By avoidant, it simply means someone who requires more space, autonomy, and independence in a relationship. Someone who's not as leaned in, let's say. Okay, And as I mentioned earlier, folks who are anxious are very much leaned in. They're all in, okay? It is the most that you can be in. I almost liken the two styles, anxious being, being someone who is sort of pedal to the metal, all gas all the time, and avoidant, someone who is very much on the brake all the time trying to pull away. And so you can see why they would each trigger each other because they have opposing needs. One needs space and autonomy and independence. One needs closeness and reassurance and connection. They are opposite. And yet they end up together because they both idealize romantic partners and think that they can heal from their trauma by having that sort of spark in chemistry, which ultimately does not keep a couple together. So it's super passionate from the beginning, but then there's a switch that flips for the person who is avoidant because, again, they can only handle so much emotional intimacy before they become overwhelmed. They never learned how to identify their emotions or process them. 
Whereas folks who are anxious are in their emotions all the time, even though they push them away or numb them or avoid them or project them. So that said, identifying your partner's attachment style can certainly help to see where the growth opportunities might be for the connection. But it can also be incredibly limiting because we are human beings and dynamic and ever-changing. And you know, if you look at someone as only avoidant, when in reality, again, attachment is a spectrum, maybe they've done some self-work. Maybe they are working with a therapist. Maybe they've had a coach. Maybe they've just read a lot of books and are trying because of failed relationships in their past to find out what's not working for them. Each person is unique. You know, and I think the labeling, it can, it can also be a perpetuation of the insecurity that comes from those styles. It's like, like, I feel like, okay, well, I'm going to ask this question and then I want to make a comparison that I wonder if you agree with, but is an avoidant attachment style person similar to a narcissist? Oh my goodness. We could do a whole podcast episode just on that. There, there, <laughs> there are some similarities, okay? But it's also important to know that just because someone wants more independence or space in a relationship, that does not necessarily make them a narcissist. A narcissist is someone who centers their relationships around them. And it can tiptoe up to that in avoidant attachment, it can come across as that. In other words, when in reality, it might just be that they're just not that into you. It might be that you're not what they're looking for. It might be that they perceive that you can't meet their needs and so they disengage. Or they're just overwhelmed. They haven't done any self-work. They're not at a place in their life where they're ready to commit. That doesn't make them emotionally unavailable. It doesn't make them a narcissist. It doesn't make them toxic. Again, these are all labels that are overused typically when we go through rejection and rejection is common in dating and learning how to sit with that rejection is far more valuable than just coming from a place of ego and saying, oh, that person was a narcissist or they had an avoidant attachment style. It may or may not be true, but on the other hand, you have no control over them and the work that you need to do is within So I noticed that you are a Taylor Swift fan. Is that correct? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. I'm excited to see where this is going. Me too. So as a Taylor Swift fan, you must know her trajectory of, you know, the men that she has dated. Would you consider Taylor to be anxious attachment? Just yes or no me. And then we'll continue with the next thing that I'm curious about. (laughs) Yes, but there's there's a quick caveat, okay? And this okay. this is important for folks because especially with artists that write their own material, there is a built-in assumption around it being immediately autobiographical. And mm-hmm. that can be a dangerous assumption, especially when you have proof and evidence of Taylor building fictional storylines around characters that she has built for instance, on Folklore and Evermore. So that said, yes, I do believe that Taylor oftentimes writes material that is reflective of the anxious attachment style. Fair, fair and political. So if Taylor is an anxious attachment, walk through this with me. So like Joe Jonas, for example, like cheated on her, left her for Camilla... And then she like, you know, I'm skipping ahead a few guys then had this thing with Taylor Lautner who must have had secure attachment because she wasn't ready for that. Like she was so used to guys who had avoidant attachment that she, and she says in back to December, she like, you know, goes back to December all the time because she couldn't, she wasn't ready. Like, you know, she was in her twenties and young twenties And she wasn't ready to be with someone who was like ready to be with her essentially, right? Which is so interesting and ironic about attachments. And then, you know, she went back into the world of people who were avoidant again, like the Calvin Harris's of the world and the, you know, Tom Hiddleston and whatever. And then now she's, I think, with somebody who has secure attachment, but only because she's like done the work on herself and she's like, 
old enough to realize that like that's like the love that she deserves and whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't really know where I'm going with this, but like, does it make sense? It does make sense. Yes. And again, like I mentioned earlier, we can grow more secure or insecure through each relationship. And when you have an anxious attachment style and you have core beliefs around not really being able to find that person and then that being confirmed by relationships that are unstable and unhealthy, regardless of the attachment style of the other person, it only becomes a self-reinforcing pattern or a self-fulfilling prophecy. And it's so funny that you bring this up because I think about Taylor Swift's growth trajectory constantly. And for those who don't know, I've built a community on TikTok at least initially, primarily around using pop songs to demonstrate attachment styles. And Taylor's material in particular is indicative, again, of a lot of the symptoms of having an anxious attachment style or the cluster of sort of physiological experiences that happen. You can see this very clearly in songs like Delicate, where she asks in the chorus, isn't it, isn't it, isn't it? It it really drives home the over-rumination that happens when you're anxious. It's delicate, isn't it? It's early. I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't do that. Also, Cornelia Street, where she talks about, I'll never walk Cornelia Street again because she'd be triggered, essentially. She would always remember right. that that person, that relationship, and how it didn't work out. And that those sort of statements like, I'll never, I always, I can't, those are limiting beliefs that are typical of folks who have an anxious attachment style. And that said, you can see from Speak Now to all the way up to Lover and through Folklore and Evermore, there are certainly still songs that are anxious on her albums, but they're not all anxious. There is an element of security. And I've debated unpacking the song Lover on on my TikTok it's, it is an illustration of both feeling anxious and secure. There is an over-identification yeah. with the relationship. You're my lover, you know? And so it's, will we always be this close? There's another lyric in that song, which is typical of questions that folks who have an anxious style, attachment style ask themselves. Are we always going to be this close? How can I sustain this, you know, instead of mm-hmm. ebbing and flowing with the relationship? But considering how publicly she has dated and how public her relationships were and how that has been reflected in her material and now, you know, her having the relationship with Joe, who does seem to be very stable and grounding for her, it is reflected in the work. And that's also why Evermore and Folklore are more calm than mm-hmm. some of the other albums. Yeah. So yeah, it makes yeah. total sense to me. I would say Daylight is secure attachment mm. for sure. Yes. That's such a good song like, too. Daylight is reaching like the, the secure attachment. Amazing. Okay. So we're going to play this really fun game Okay, where we usually do rapid fire poll questions at the end, but I'm going to do rapid fire telling you a celebrity couple and you're going to tell me their attachment styles obviously this is like a fun game it's not serious so like like no like not not that celebrities are really listening right now but like they're not going to be offended it's just like oh this is just like random guess okay j-lo and ben affleck j-lo would definitely be anxious i'm not so certain i think probably back in the day he may have been more avoidant now, mm-hmm. maybe not so much, maybe more secure. I think they've both done well, they both have clearly been through relationships that didn't work out. And so, yeah, I would yeah. say they're probably more on the secure side of things. But traditionally, Jen would be anxious, Ben would be avoidant, but they've done enough work to grow more secure. Fair. Kim Kardashian and Pete Davidson. Hmm. Kim is an interesting one. I would almost say that she would probably be more secure. I I would see Pete as being more secure too. 
Yeah. I mean, mm, I think that I, like that. I, I also had a, an initial gut reaction to Kim of maybe there being some avoidance there as well. Mm. And I don't know why, but I would say that they're probably both on the more secure side of things. Love it. Courtney and Travis. I, I feel oh like I could, I could guess this one. Courtney and full disclosure, I have not watched the Kardashians. I only know about them th- from having worked at People Magazine back in the day. Sure, and sure. Through hearing about them by reading articles and through friends. Courtney, uh, I would. Do you want me to jump in and guess? I would definitely say she's on the insecure side of things, but I'm, yeah, I, I think she has anxious and he has secure. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. But like maybe he had avoided in the past, but he's secure with her, I think. I can see that. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Giselle and Tom Brady. Hmm. I don't know enough about what's going on in Tom Brady's mind. <laughs> I know. I don't think anyone does. And maybe in that regard, maybe he is a little more either private or avoidant, but they've been together for so long. And I feel like their relationship has been really stable. Giselle, I would say probably more anxious, but in her relationship with Tom, probably more secure. And again, I think this mm-hmm. also really gets to the point of with each relationship, you can be a little bit more secure because you're learning and you're growing right. and you're figuring out what does and doesn't work for you and building the confidence and self-worth through safe relationships and experiences where you can learn to show mm-hmm. up differently. So yeah. ultimately over time, obviously the it's hopeful that the trajectory will be to a more secure place, but it can also go the opposite direction. Right. Okay, last one. Jay-Z and Beyonce. Mm. Okay. I have unpacked some Beyonce songs and Destiny's Child songs, which tend to be more anxious. Say My Name, for instance, is an anxious mm-hmm. attachment style song. There's a lot of question over-questioning that is typical of people who are anxious. I would say Beyonce was certainly more anxious. Jay-Z, I would say avoidance secure. You can see some of that avoidance in... And this is typical of folks who have an avoidant attachment style. There's substance use issues. There's also infidelity. So that's that's typical because they are also on the insecure side. So I would say they're right. probably anxious avoidant, but there's also an element of security of security in their connection. Obviously, they're still making it work all these years later. So yeah, that's what I would say. Awesome. Chris, this has been so great to chat with you. Can you leave us with a quote or piece of advice that has helped you throughout the years? Maybe it has to do with attachment styles. Maybe it's just something that you've gathered. Mm, Okay. There is a quote from A Course in Miracles that has given me a lot of comfort over the years. And it's one that I share with my clients. And when I do write my next book, which will be about anxious attachment, this will be front and center in there. And it is those who are certain of the outcome can afford to wait and wait without anxiety. And what it means is that when you really honor your needs, when you believe in yourself, when you love yourself. And that's not something where you sort of reach a state of completion, right? It happens little by little, day by day. You will ultimately find the connection that you're looking for because you will have created it within yourself by realizing that you don't need another person to complete you. And that's when that person will inevitably likely show up. So for instance, I mentioned earlier, I'm single. It gives me a lot of comfort. I know he's on his way. I don't doubt. I don't worry. I know that if I honor myself and I show up authentically, that that connection will happen. And if I express myself and what I'm feeling and allow myself to feel those things, that it will happen. Most certainly. I don't doubt it. Yeah, I agree. I love that. Chris, where can everyone find you, follow you and sign up to get your help with their attachment style? TikTok. I know I mentioned that earlier. You can find me at Crackliff. So C Rackliff. It's sort of like Crack Life with two Fs. <laughs> My name is Chris Rackliff. So, you know, for those who are listening, that's why that is what it is. 
And on the first page of my book, It's Good to See Me Again, which is live on Amazon now, I explain the origin of that nickname and how I sort of owned it and it being an embracing of something I couldn't change, which is sort of central to my philosophy about life. I'm also on Instagram at Cracklift, cracklift.com is where folks can book a free consultation with my team. And if all goes well, they'll pass you along to me and we'll have another discussion where we can dive in even deeper. I have an eight-week program I've built specifically for folks who have an anxious attachment style. If you've read all the books, tried therapy, haven't had the rubber meet the road, so to speak, or have struggled with accountability or applying what you've been learning, then coaching might be something that you might want to consider. Okay, This isn't a sales pitch or anything like that. You don't have to work with me. There are plenty of other coaches out there that address anxious attachment. I take a more sort of holistic approach, meaning, you know, sort of alternative approaches, traditional approaches, as well as a more spiritual approach or the idea that you don't have to bear your burdens alone. And we are all connected, not religious, but spiritual. So that's where folks can find me. And I hope that at the very least, this will help people to not feel needy or clingy or to invalidate themselves because that is what keeps you locked in anxious attachment. Love it. Thank you so much, Chris. This was so helpful. Thank you. I'm grateful.